All right. Well, we are in our break here between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and it's not going to be a long break. Um, Lord willing, that's our, our plan in human sense, is not to make this a long and extended break, but we want to take time to do a little topical study on the family. And uh, trust it will be a profitable study for you. And particularly we want to talk in the weeks ahead on God's mind for parents and parenting. And that's on my heart very much as I have a little nine-month-old, ten-month-old, nine-month-old, almost ten. And uh, she has uh, proven what we thought was true. She is, in fact, a sinner. So uh, this is all there now. Kind of we're holding out. Maybe there was some something we didn't know about, but it's true. And uh, she's a little sinner. In fact, I was telling the kids at the at the retreat, we're talking about sin and depravity. And Carissa is so sinful in her little heart at this early age that there, you know, there are only like three rules in her life, like total. But she knows which three those are. And one of the rules, that's a universal rule. I assume this is true in all of our households. Don't touch the remote. Okay simple i mean that's simple biblical reasoning in my book don't touch the remote and uh so Kristen knows that that remote is off limits and uh and she's very well aware that it sits occasionally on the coffee table or on the couch where she can climb up and she can get close enough that she could actually touch the remote and she desperately wants to touch the remote why well for no other reason that her little heart is dark and sinful and what is forbidden then becomes the most desired activity that she could be a part of so she's become so intelligent in her little immature sinfulness that what she'll do is she'll take her toy keys, and let's say these are the keys, she'll bring her toy keys and she'll carry them along and she'll come over to the coffee table and she'll pull up on the coffee table and there's the remote sitting eye level to her little face and she'll kind of look at us and then she'll take her keys and she'll touch it with her keys. Yeah, yeah. So the keys are the second cause. She's the primary cause. That's called disobedience. So anyway, I'm burdened for parenting, and uh, I'm in the throes of it. Many of you have already come through it. You're finished with parenting. You have done what will be done in the life of parenting for you. Many of you are into grandparenting, which is just better parenting, right, because they go home at night. So uh, they get to go somewhere else. You get to spoil them and all those fun things that grandparents do, and yet really From a biblical perspective, grandparenting is just another layer of parenting. It's just a different layer of the same same intentionality, the same purposefulness with young people. And so we're going to take these weeks, we're just going to look at the basics of what God says, and really God does not say much. The Word of God is relatively quiet when it comes to parenting. There are a few major themes that are crystal clear that we will most certainly go after. There are a few secondary themes that we can see through the families represented in our scriptures. But we want to just take time to focus our attention and our minds on what God has said about parenting and about the family. And tonight we're going to do that really not as a bait and switch, but really as a foundational element. Because we want to deal with God's ideal for the family. Okay? Sometimes you'll hear people say, well that's just idealism. That's alright. We want to be living in God's ideal. That needs to be our pursuit. We don't live for some secondary American um, status quo of a family. 
We don't live in the American dream. We are Christians. Therefore, the ideal that is represented in Scripture must be our pursuit. It must be our desire. It must be our goal. It must be our encouragement to other families. Many of you don't have children right now or grandchildren near you. You can be an encouragement to other parents to come back to the standard of God's truth and the ideals of Scripture for parenting. And the first ideal really is the overarching umbrella. And I'm just, this will really be a cursory study tonight, not like what maybe we normally do. Um, by the way, my brain was worn out after this morning. Um, so just personal testimony. That was some heavy trotting. And uh, this will be much lighter version of what we do as we examine God's word. The overarching principle of parenting is that parents are first and foremost what? What do you think? The overarching ideal of Scripture. Parents, a mom and a dad, are first and foremost what? I can't hear you whispering. Uh, I hear the but that doesn't do anything. So if maybe somebody behind you whispered and you heard it, Maybe you could say, what, what, what are some of the answers that we have? What? What is the ideal? What's that? Imperfect, okay. That's, a, that's an assumption from Scripture, surely, that you have two imperfect people. We don't want that to be the ideal so much, just wretched, sinful people. That is the assumption. You're right, Lori, and that's the understanding. What's the ideal for the overarching theme of the family? Okay, be models for the people under them. No. Okay, submission to believers who are modeling, who are obviously sinful people. What is the overarching um, ideal for a mom and a dad to be? What's that? Christian? Christian? Renee, what would you think it would be? Yes, I know you do. I'm playing to that. That's right, a wife and a husband. Because parents, biblically, in the ideal of what God has for us, which is not always the case in every circumstance, but ideally, parents are not parents exclusively. Parents are husbands and wives who model, who are submissive to the Lord, and who are sinners. Okay, great. We've got all the package in there, and that is all true. But the ideal from Scripture is that a mom and a dad... Before they were ever a mom and a dad, were a husband and a wife. And so I think we've got to step back just before we even start into tromping down the parenting path and hoping that we can really get our parenting shored up or our grandparenting shored up or, for that matter, our aunt and uncling or whatever our relationship to young people is in a family setting. Let's step back and let's look at what parenting represents as a family unit because... The scriptures are much more concerned about the primary relationship in a family. This is crucial. The first relationship in a family is a marriage. So maybe this evening you've been challenged for years now or months or maybe you look back and look at the challenges and want to influence the future with better choices Let's start with the primary, the first relationship of the family that God created and intended to fuel all the other relationships within the family, and that is the marriage 
relationship. In fact, let's go back and let's just recount the fact that marriage is not only a good thing, marriage is a God thing. Okay? Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It's the better text for what we're going to talk about. Back in verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Genesis 1, verse 26. So God, verse 27, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, and we have more detail about this, but this is the over. This is the uh, generalization of the creation of the human race, male and female. And God blessed them, verse 28. And here is God's first command, first command to this marriage that He has created between Adam and Eve, our human parents. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, talk about a serious and daunting task. Be fruitful, multiply. And, you know, we talk about the quiver being full. God says, fill the earth. Can you imagine Eve? She's like, uh, I have a question. Don't want to doubt right off the bat here. But fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Marriage was the initial created relationship. It is the primary relationship that then parenting flows out of. So if your marriage is in disarray, when it comes to God's mind about your relationship to your spouse, if your marriage is weak, then just go ahead and expect that there will be other weaknesses that show up in your relationships within your family. I mean, back up one step further. You are first and foremost relating to God. So if your relationship to God is flawed and fallen and has holes punched all through it, then your relationship to your spouse will reflect that. And then your relationship to the remainder of your family will reflect that. So this, this marriage that God instituted, that he created, is the primary relationship of the family, and it is where we must start. And I, we're really not going to spend the amount of time that we should or need to. We're not going to exhaust this subject tonight. I just want to point you in the right direction. Trust I'll point you towards texts that will help inform you as the Spirit guides you in truth. You can meditate on these, you can read these, you can write out applications to these passages. And I trust that in the end we'll have established at least the ideal of what God expects for our relationship as husbands and wives. Because the world has so saturated our culture with the idea that the family in the early stages of marriage is all about each other, but then the kids come and pretty much you just become mom or dad, and your marriage relationship kind of goes on the back burner, and then that's why the fruit of that in our culture is that when the kids are gone, many marriages have nothing left to stand on because they have long ago left their pursuit of a marriage relationship as the primary and central relationship of the home. Okay, So that's why I'm just trying to validate why we're beginning with husbands and wives. And though Ephesians 5 is a centerpiece for us tonight, you can turn there. Ephesians chapter 5 begins looking at the relationship of the wives to their husbands. 
I never like targeting the wives first, so not in any contrary sense to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We're going to start with husbands, okay? Understanding that they're second in line here. So first and foremost, let's look at us men. Let's look at us husbands and examine ourselves to be sure that we have the right expectation for our relationship to our wives, first and foremost, before we ever deal with our relationship to our children. What is it that we are called to as Christian husbands and leaders of the home? All right, Ephesians chapter 5 and beginning in verse 25. Let's just read this together. This is familiar to you, I'm sure, but let's read it together and then Then we'll look at just a few principles that are derived from this section. Husbands, verse 25 says, Love your wives. How? By what standard? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And now we're going to explain why Christ gave himself up for the church. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish or spotless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. It's the assumed reality. No one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ does, that is, nourishes and cherishes the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, leaving and cleaving. That's Genesis 2:24, And the two shall become one flesh. Now, the mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you, husbands, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Maybe you've not interacted with this passage. There's another key passage that we'll come to in just a little bit. But this one is really foundational for our understanding of the relationship as husbands to our wives. This is the most in-depth examination of who we are to be as husbands. These passages are vital, and we would be good to commit these to memory or at least familiarity for the sake of our meditation on God's Word day and night. Leadership in the home is intrinsic. Uh, You'll never find a command for husbands to lead the house or to be leaders. Leadership is the assumed role of, of the male, of the headship of the home. That is the assumed role of the husband. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 explains to us that that flows from the created order. That is exactly what God has ordained. It's not that there is some superiority and then inferiority in the roles that are the home, but rather that these are roles within equal, spiritually equal people that one is subordinate to the other so that the relationship can move forward with leadership and with direction as God would have it. Biblical leadership, furthermore, just as we speak on this as a foundational, biblical leadership is not domination. I don't know, we've got a myriad of backgrounds that are represented, and most of us, our understanding of what a husband is to be is really tied up in what our father was and our grandfather was, and maybe a couple other close husbands to us that we've seen 
That is our, our understanding. Many times in our culture, leadership is seen as domination. It's the snapping of the fingers. It's the kicking back with the newspaper, and waiting for the, the ice-cold iced tea with lemon to come, and it better have lemon. Okay? Three squirts of lemon juice in the bottom. Not on the top. No, I'm just kidding. Okay? Just teasing. Um, biblical leadership is not domination. Biblical leadership from from an understanding of the New Testament, is seen best in what word picture? Biblical leadership is what? It is service. It is the greatest servant who will lead. It is the one who serves most, who will, who will be granted the most influence and the leadership. John chapter 13, Jesus modeled servant leadership. How did he do it? The disciples are there. Jesus takes a towel, and he goes from one disgusting set of feet to the next, serving in the lowliest of tasks that even in a household would not be done by those who own the house, but by some servant who they would command to do this menial chore. He was the greatest because he served at the highest level. Wayne Mack says, when we apply the biblical concept of leadership to the husband, we see that being the leader means that he must be the family's biggest servant. Boy, guys, I hate to kick this off with like steel toe boots, but I mean, this hits us, this hits us right between the eyes. Leadership is service. When was the last time we evaluated our leadership as husbands on our own desire and pursuit of service to our wives and to our family? Not just the service of a paycheck every two weeks, but literal physical service within the home, which we're going to see represented in Christ's service and love for his church. So Christ is the example. There's no doubt about it. He is the example for husbands. He is the standard. We are simply a living illustration of his relationship to his church. We are his bride. So Christ becomes our highest standard, our ideal as husbands. Now let's look just quickly at some of the description of what husbands are to be in verses 25 down through uh, really verse the first part of verse 33, and then the last part is to wives, just the concluding sentence. Okay, so really 25 to 32. First of all, if you're taking notes, godly husbands are lovers. They are lovers. Godly husbands are lovers. However countercultural that may be, that is the reality. And this is not a love that you've seen on some sappy movie that you caved in in service to your wife and watched the chick flick. And you're watching Matthew McConaughey and you're going, give me a break, okay? I'm never going to be this guy or whoever. I just That came to me just now. Um, he's on a lot of those Hallmark movies that I've served my wife in watching, Okay? I don't have any admiration for the man. I don't know anything about him. That's a mistake. We're going to cut that out of this. Uh, Godly husbands are lovers, and Christ is the model. Let's look at this love as represented in Christ. How is the love modeled for us in verse 25? Biblical Christ-like leadership love is, first of all, an unconditional and self-sacrificing love. Okay? 
This is the standard that Jesus lays out for us. He came and he gave himself up for the church. He laid his life down for sinful humanity. It was unconditional. His love was not reciprocal. He did not do it. If we loved him, then he would love us. It was an unconditional and a self-sacrificing love. He gave himself up for the church. It was a sacrificial love. Jesus died to secure his bride. He died. Philippians chapter 2 says he emptied himself in humility for the sake of saving the bride. Jesus prayed for his bride in John 17. Jesus was attentive to the needs and the cares of his bride. He is a sympathetic high priest slash husband. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Sacrificial, unconditional love is the model that is seen when we come to Christ as the example for the leadership within the home that is a husband. Okay? Families are first and foremost to be identified with marriage, with spouses. It is the centerpiece of the home. And husbands are to be lovers of their wives. They are to be self-sacrificing. Then we'll see in verse 28, after the description of Jesus' sacrifice and all that he accomplished in the gospel sacrifice at the cross for his church. In the same way, in the same sacrificial manner, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands are lovers in a sacrificial sense. They are lovers in an unconditional sense. And they are lovers in a, in a selfish sense, but not in the negative use of that word. In the inherent love of the body that each of us has for our own care, we protect our body. You have all taken some measure, some more than others, to make your body comfortable today, right? Your body was important to you today. You cared for it. You nurtured it. You made sure it got some food. It has good clothes on it. The same way that we love ourselves, in the very basic sense, we're commanded here from the Apostle Paul that we are to love our wives in this same, in this same way. No one ever hated his flesh, verse 29 says, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So it is a self-love Biblical, Christ-like, leadership love is a love for others that reflects the love that we have inherently for our own well-being and protection. Loving husbands will pour out nourishment and cherish their wives just as Jesus nourishes and cherishes his church. He pours out his affection upon the church. He provides for his church. And the mystery is profound, and it is profound in verse 32, that marriage and the leadership of godly husbands really is a living illustration of the gospel. That is the powerful message of Ephesians chapter 5, that this relationship uniquely represents as a living illustration what Christ has done in the gospel in securing his bride, the church. Okay, Godly husbands are lovers, secondly, from 1 Peter chapter 3, godly husbands are learners. They are learners, not just lovers, but they are learners. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, 
Likewise, husbands, again referencing back to the wives, submission to authority goes all the way back to verse 13 of chapter 2 in the civil sense, then submission to the wives or wives to their husbands, and now in verse 7, likewise, husbands, here is our, re- our responsibility, here is our, our mandate to our wives, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Godly, Christ-like husbands are learners. Husbands learn to understand their wives. The reason given for our, our desperate need to understand our wives is that we are to show honor to her as a weaker vessel. She is different than us. God has made her different, both physically and in her role within the relationship. Therefore, it must be our our intention, our pursuit to understand her and to show her honor. We need to learn our wives. Honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. She is your co-heir of life. You get to go through life with her at your side. She is a co-heir the grace of life. Now the world says something totally different, right? The world says to us, guys, you could never understand a woman. Ever. I mean, from the earliest, you're never going to understand her. In fact, somebody will talk about their wife, and they'll say, I just don't get her. I do not get it. In fact, I don't get it so bad that now in the 10th year of our marriage, when I start seeing things crank up a certain way, I'm out of there. I get in the car. I go for a nice long drive. I go see some friends at a coffee shop. Whatever the case, I cannot understand my wife. Scripture commands you to live with your wife in an understanding way. This is your responsibility, husbands. You're to love and you're to learn. Not only can you understand your your wife, but you must understand your wife. Your responsibility is not to understand women. You don't need a women's cultural study. You need to understand one woman. She's the one that God gave you to love, to cherish, to lead, and to learn. So we need to desperately pursue this command for us from 1 Peter 3. Now, just some practical things that others have brought into my life. Learning takes time. Learning takes some intentional effort on our parts. This doesn't just happen on its own. Learning takes communication. You actually have to talk to each other to learn. Some of you older men are smiling back at me, and that's totally appropriate. You have learned these things much much more than I have. Your wife is like a priceless piece of china. Don't treat her like a paper plate. Okay? Learn to honor her, to shower her with affection and with your pursuit of understanding her in every way. Godly husbands are leaders, they're lovers, and they're learners. Okay, Leaders, lovers, and learners, and they follow the example of Christ. Now, just finally, husbands, let me give you ten ways to express love to your wife. Just ten practical things. We don't do this very often. These are from a book called Strengthening Your Marriage by Wayne Mack. Ten ways to express love for your wife. 
speak your love to her in words. Time. Speak your love to her in words. Provide for her needs and desires. Protect her from every threat. That's important. Protecting your wife does not just mean that the 357 is on your side of the bed. Okay? Protecting your wife means guarding her heart from deception, guarding her mind from thinking thoughts that are less than biblical or beyond what Scripture says, helping her to grow and develop, protect her from every threat, assist her in her responsibilities and duties in the home. This is terrible that we're reading this list. Assist her in her responsibilities and duties. Dishes, uh, laundry, heaven forbid, changing diapers that have number two in them. Assist her. Ways to show our love. Sacrifice your will and desires for her. Set aside your own agenda for her. Allow her to share in your life experiences, both good and bad. Refuse to compare her to other people, especially other women. I trust that all of us husbands have made a practice of setting aside what, uh, whatever comparison might enter our minds to any other woman. Your wife should not be compared. You ought to fight comparison in your own heart, in your own mind, and you ought never to compare her to other women. She is your prize. She is God's gift to you. She is a helper for you that was perfect, that God ordained for you. Comparison will only kill contentment, right? Comparison will only kill contentment. Remind her that apart from Christ, she is first place in your life. That means first place over your children. And that's what we're going to get to. Your wife must take the preeminent place of relationship. That means first place over your buddies from high school or college. That means first place from over the guys at the shop. That means first place in every way as a relationship. Just a practical illustration of this. My wife probably scared to death when I say a practical illustration of this. Um, we have a little rule in my house. This was particularly important when I was in seminary, my best friend Nathan Busnitz uh, and I spent a lot of time together. And I would go to class and I would interact with a professor and we'd start to learn something. And I, I was arguing and wrestling with a particular aspect of Scripture or whatever it was. And I would generally, my wife worked in the Shepherd's Conference office. She was the administrative assistant. So she was in a desk right here, right in the suite. Her boss's desk was there. Nate's office was here and my office was here. I would walk in the door. I would say hi to my wife. Hey, babe, how are you doing? Good. And I'd walk straight into Nate's office. And I would close the door, and Renee would hear us in there hashing out whatever it was that had gone on in class, hashing out whatever it was that I was wrestling through or thinking about. You say, well, there's no problem with that. No, there isn't, except that I only have, like, one shot at getting it out, and then it's gone. That's kind of the way the Lord built me. Maybe it was for the purpose of preaching. So she would say... So what did you learn today in class? And I'd say, eh. You know, wrestled through this little issue. I had no energy left. I had no ideas left. I had no creativity left. So we made a little rule to make sure that in our relationship, we were the first to each other outside of God himself. 
we share those experiences first with each other before they ever go to secondary people so that the relationship stays at the top. And now David has become the new object of temptation since I spend every waking moment with David Morris, right? My goodness. Every waking moment. And then this weekend he's not here and I have his son in my house. You know, it's like I sit down with Silas. Hey, Silas, how you doing? We need to talk over ministry stuff. Okay? Remind her that apart from Christ, she is first place in your life. Nine, provide tenderness, respect, chivalry, and courtesy to your wife. Be old-fashioned with your wife so that you can love her, lead her, and learn to honor her. And men, if we're to be godly husbands, let us express our appreciation and praise of her love and labor to us as our spouse. Our wives serve us beyond what we could ever imagine. Let's express that appreciation publicly, boldly, loudly, from the tops of buildings. There is no wife like my wife. There is no one who loves me and serves me more than my wife. This ought to be our cry. As those who lead our homes, we're given a responsibility as the leader in a role in our home. We're to love in that leadership and serve in that leadership. And we are to be learning to honor and care for our wives. Right? That is the first relationship of the home. Now, we have approximately four minutes for the wives. So that's great, huh? Ladies? Yes. Bingo. We nailed this thing right on the head. Well, we're not going to take the four minutes. We're going to come back next week and we'll deal with the wives and God-glorifying wifehood from a biblical perspective. There's no better way to start a discussion on parenting than for us to go back to the foundational relationship of the home, the centerpiece, which is a husband and a wife in God's ideal. needs to be our pursuit in our prayer. This ought to be the passion of Grace Church families. Not that they're good people. Not that they, they get along. Not that they love to go on vacation together. But that they model the biblical ideal. That's a husband who self-sacrificingly serves and loves his wife. And that's a wife who brings honor and glory to God by serving and loving and caring for her home and her husband and by submitting to his leadership within the home. And I trust that as we interact with these passages, God will grip our hearts, he'll convict us as he is convicting me even now, and I trust he's convicting some of you. We need to continue to take steps to be leaders, to be lovers, and to be learners of our lives.